Good evening. So uh, as we start Simply Jesus, we like to start with a question. And seeing as the theme uh, this month, this, yeah, this month, is uh, Christmas, was it really worth it? We thought, why not a Christmassy question? So the question we have today is, was Jesus born in a stable? No. Right, that's it. Well, no, or pro probably not. You see, we get the idea of this whole stable idea from Christmas cards and, um, you know, nativity sets that we have in our house. And we always see this stable and it's continued through the years. Um, but we need to do a little bit of digging as why the whole idea of stable came around. So this is a verse from Luke 2, verse 7. Uh, and it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, this is Mary, uh, firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this inn, this is where we have the bit of an issue, because when we see the word inn, we automatically think uh, things like the hotel or the, the pub or wherever uh, this whole guest room was. Uh, but actually, the word that's used in the original language is cataluma, okay? Now, cataluma uh, is reception or guest room. Now, catalumas, I'll show you a picture of in a minute. So, cataluma uh, is actually more of a house, but it was more of like a peasant's house. So, the way it would have worked, the, the word is closely associated, or pretty much the same word that's used when they're talking about the Last Supper, that, and they met in the upper room, that's the same word, Cataluma. Uh, so it would have been, let's flick to the next word. This Pandasian, you don't need to, those just enough bit of information. Pandasian is an inn or place for strangers. So that's what the hotel word would be if it was there, but it's not. So uh, this is what a Cataluma looks like. There we are. So this is the Cataluma. So upstairs, you can see the people. And then downstairs is where, in those times, they would have kept the animals. Many people kept the animals. Uh, downstairs in a safe environment uh, so they wouldn't be stolen, but also they would be an excellent source of warmth as well. The people would live upstairs in the Cataluma, uh, the, the upper room, the living space. So Mary and Joseph wouldn't have been shoved out into a stable um, all by themselves. All they would have done was because it was the census and because everyone had to go back to their hometown, this would probably have been a relative's house. So they lived, uh, Joseph's family would have lived in this place, but because everyone was there, it would have been pretty crowded upstairs. So there wasn't much room to have a baby, uh, so they would have been put downstairs with the animals. And that's where we get the whole idea of they were put into a stable. So next time you see your nativity set, try and make it into a cataluma. Why not? Okay, uh, Ian, over to you for our reading. The reading this evening is from the Gospel written by John. Uh, so John 1, starting at verse 1 through to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing, ha nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, 
so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We watched a short video where ordinary people say what Christmas means to them. I think it means a family time. Uh, I think it's time we're getting together. Christmas means to me is it's just getting together with my family. Like if that's the most important thing. Family. Yeah, four like games. Monopoly. It's um, the light in your kids' eyes when they see their presents and uh, that excitement in the morning. I think that's what it's all about. Christmas to me isn't about gifts. It's about time, being with family and friends. Time spent with those that you care about and want to be with. Opportunity to be with family, friends, catch up um, and enjoy some time off from work. Christmas is all about family because my family were huge. There's like 10 siblings and I don't get to see them. I think family is the big important for me. Like I have 14 family members and we all just get together and it's just about, because they're from all around the world, so it's just a way of getting everyone together. No, I think it's just a the kind of vibe I get from people is a lot more warmer. So, how was your Christmas? Was it worth all that preparation? Was it worth all the gifts you went out and bought? All the food that was cooked? I guess it depends what's important to you about Christmas. If you ask most people, I think they'll give the same answers that you saw on that video. Something to do with time with family and something to do with the joy on children's faces when they open their presents. But the thing is, that's all based on this idea that you've got a good family and uh, lots of people. There are some people who are actually very lonely at Christmas. They don't have that family. So what is Christmas for them? Or maybe for some, Christmas is a painful time because something happened at Christmas. Or maybe there's someone who's not there at Christmas. Or maybe it's just, just a really challenging time because there's always arguments over the burnt turkey or the fact that it is turkey or 
someone's cheated at Monopoly again. And how did they think that was a good present for me? And for many of us Christians, we get a bit annoyed with Christmas sometimes, don't we? Because there's just an absence of Christian content. This year I tried to buy a Christmas card for Sue. Um, and finding a Christian Christmas card is almost impossible. I tried three shots in Solihull and I found one card in W.H. Smith with cartoons of three wise men. That was it. That's all I could find. But let's be honest, there's not much about Christian traditions that's really, a Christmas traditions that's Christian anyway. Because we know Jesus wasn't actually born on Christmas Day. Scholars have suggested something like April, May or September, but let's be honest, they don't really know. The reason we celebrate it on Christmas Day is because the Romans were concerned that people were still celebrating pagan festivals in December. And what they wanted to do was to divert people away from pagan gods, so they put Christmas Day in the middle of the big winter celebrations on the 26th of December. They did a similar thing with Easter. And the thinking goes, if, you're going to give, if people want to party, why not give them a reason to party and make it Christian? But many of our traditions we think of inherently Christian date back to those festivals of Saturnalia, winter solstice, and the Calends. They included things like gift-giving, eating roast meats, family getting together, processions, and decorating your house with greenery. It's why the Puritans banned Christmas in 1643. You know, Christmas wasn't on Christmas Day, so therefore they banned it, and a lot of the traditions. If you held a Christmas service, so if you held a Christian service on the 25th of December, that was illegal in that period of time. They tried, they did everything they could to make it a normal work day, regardless of when it appeared. And it was only repealed in 1660. Interesting fact, in Scotland they didn't get around to repealing it until 1957. But I think the problem is with Christmas is many of us, and Christians included, fail to grasp the significance of what happened at Christmas. You see, it's not the date that's important or the unusual circumstances of Jesus' birth. It's not actually important whether he was really born in a stable or downstairs in the house or possibly in a cave as one of the apocryphal gospels suggests. You see, if Christmas is all just about the celebration of the birth of the founder of a religion, I'm not surprised most people are not that interested, can't see the point. But that's the tragedy of Christmas because it's so much more 
the Magi shepherds and angels. There's something far more significant that happened that just transforms the world and our perspective. And that's why we're going back to John's account. A quick reminder about John. He was a fisherman. His dad's name was Zebedee and his brother was James. They shared a family business with another uh, man called John and his sons, Simon, who was later called Peter, and Andrew. Now, John, Simon, Peter, and Andrew left the family business and spent three years with Jesus. They heard what he said. They saw the miracles he did. They saw him executed, and they saw him rise from the dead. And when he had left, they spent the remainder of their lives telling people about this Jesus and what they saw. That's why John authored this book. That's why John wrote about it, because he wanted to communicate what he'd seen. Now, two other accounts of Jesus' life, one written by a guy called Matthew and another written by a doctor called Luke, tell us what happened and how it happened when Jesus was born. The facts about the events. But John takes a different approach. John tells us why Jesus was born. And that's why it makes it such a significant way of looking at the story. All right. Wait, just a, wait a second. Yeah. So, he uses a couple of images. The first image he gives us is the word. I don't know if you spotted that at the beginning of the reading. In the beginning was the word, and he repeats it several times. But what does he mean by the word? Well, John helpfully later on says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, if you've read any of John, you'll absolutely know what he's on about. He's basically saying to us, the word is Jesus. All right, so where we talk about the word, we're talking about Jesus. The second picture he gives is of light. And he says, Jesus is light. So we've got these two images of Jesus, one of him being the word and one of him being light. So back to the first image, the word or logos, as the Greek word is, literally means a spoken word or a statement. I don't know if you've seen the news recently, but the um, supreme leader of Iran, the Ayatollah, has taken over Friday prayers because he's concerned about how people are interpreting the shooting down of the jet and some of the things the Americans and the Europeans are saying. He wants to correct people's view about things. So he has made a declaration. He has preached this sermon to everybody in the country to change their mind. And for me, this word, it's very similar, this statement, this declaration being made. 
God is doing the same. He's declaring to us something we need to hear. He wants to correct our view, to open our eyes to something. And his message is Jesus. God has decided to communicate to you at Christmas. And his message is Jesus. The second picture we get is one of light and its power over darkness. This week I was on a training course and uh, they taught us about I think, something called neuro-linguistic programming. It's about how you interpret communicating with people. And they said you have a preferred communication style. All right? Everybody has their, their own version. Um, I'm a visual communicator. I, I have a strong preference for the visual. To see things, I have to see it. Uh, for others, it's, it's, they have to hear things, so they're an audible communicator. So their strong preference is to hear something. It doesn't resonate with them unless they've heard it. And the final style is what's called kinetic, which is about unless you can feel it and touch it and experience it, it isn't real to you. And we're all different, and we all have a strong preference for one of these three styles. Which is why the worst thing you could have done about five or six years ago was to invite me to a restaurant in London called Le Noir, in the dark, in French. Right? And it is literally in the dark. You cannot see anything. You put your hand in front of your face and you can't get a shadow or a perception of it. It is pitch black. You get led into your seat and you, you sit down. You don't know who's sitting either side of you. You don't know who is opposite you or you've got no perception. And you literally do everything by feel and hearing. Now, I'm a visual learner. All right? It was horrible. Because I get cue, visual cues from the people's faces and what they're doing. A big experience for me of eating food is what I can see and the expectation it creates. So actually, the whole thing was seriously diminished for me. And in a sense, that's what John is saying, is that people in this world are diminished. There's a whole sense, a whole perception of who God is that they can't experience. And people have got used to that because that's the, um, that's the way that their perception of what they've seen. But there's a whole further experience that will transform their lives and transform their experience. In the same way, if they turned the light on, I'd have really enjoyed the meal. As it was, I hated every minute of it. I'm not recommending it, but it might be for you. If you're an audible person or a kinetic person, I guess it's, it's a great experience. But it wasn't for me. So what have we discovered? John is telling us that God wants to communicate with you and me. And the message he wants to give us is Jesus. And that message will help you see and experience something about God that you, don't, you, you haven't to date. Something new and something amazing. But there are lots of ancient wise prophets and men over the ages who've come with a clever message, an interesting message, an inspiring message about God. We can think of Muhammad and Moses, even Joseph Smith with the Mormons. So what's so special about Jesus? 
Well, John makes the most incredible and fantastic claim about Jesus. If you've not heard it before, it blows your mind. He says it here. He starts off with, in the beginning was the word. Now, if you're Christian background or a Jewish background, you'll immediately know what he's saying. In the beginning is the first bit of Genesis right at the beginning of the Bible and talks about that time or before creation of the world. So he's saying, in the beginning was the word. Now, we know the word is Jesus. So what he's saying is, at that time of creation, Jesus was there. He then goes on to say he was with God, because we know God was there at creation at that, in that image. And then he goes on to hit us with the bombshell. Jesus was God. And then if just to reinforce it, he goes on to say, through him all things were made. He wasn't just there with God, he was part of that creation. He's just saying lots and lots and lots of ways that Jesus is God. So John, isn't say, John is saying, Jesus isn't a prophet. He's not a man who has come to tell us about God. He is God. That's what he's telling us. Hence the song at the start, Mosaic MSC. It's why the world trembles with the name Jesus, why the darkness is defeated, why the shadows flee, because God came at Christmas. He broke into our world in the man of Jesus. So how did John come to this amazing conclusion? Because it's a huge claim, isn't it? That this man Jesus that came many, many 2,000 years ago is God. How did he get there? Well, John spent three years with Jesus, living with him. And he saw him heal people. He saw miracles. He saw blind people being made able to see. He saw lame people suddenly able to walk. He saw people with leprosy cured. But he didn't see one or two amazing things. He saw hundreds and hundreds of people. People were queuing up all day to be healed. People broke through the roofs of houses because they couldn't get to Jesus. There's a woman who touched his cloak and was healed of bleeding. John saw this day in, day out. But he didn't just see this. We know on three occasions he saw people brought back to life. People who were dead became alive again. In fact, one of those people had been dead and rotting in a tomb for four days in the heat of the Israeli sun. Jesus just seemed to know things about people that, how on earth could he know? How on earth could he know how many times a woman had been married when he just met her for the first time at a well? How, do you, how does he know that? He just seemed to know what was the inner thoughts of people before they articulated them. 
He knew where the Pharisees were going when they were trying to catch him out. He knew how to challenge people when they came across as being um, knowing it all. He knew what people's inner desires were. The man who'd led a holy life, he knew actually his passion was for his wealth more than God. And he seemed to know stuff about God. How is it that as a 12-year-old boy, he managed to spend three solid days with the teachers in the temple, keeping up with them, with their knowledge? And then he just had this way of, of, of explaining things about God that everybody just got and understood. He opened people's eyes, whether you were rich and wealthy and well-educated or the poorest. He led a life of perfection. He just didn't seem to put a step wrong. No one could catch him out. He seemed to have limitless compassion for the lost. He reached out to those who were most at need. Those who had no hope, he gave hope to. And then finally, he predicted his death. And that may not be a big thing, bearing in mind the Romans were out to get him and the Jews were out to get him. But he also predicted that three days later he would rise from the dead. And John saw him make that prediction. And three days later, he spent time with him. He ate with him. He touched him. He saw Jesus. And when he added all these things together, the only conclusion he could come to was that Jesus wasn't a prophet from God, but that he was God himself come to earth. I don't know what your reaction to that is. But bear with me a second. Let's assume it's true. What does it mean? What does it mean to me today? Does it actually make any difference? Well, it's something else that John says that makes all the difference. Because John has told us that Jesus' message or God's message to us is that he exists and wants us to know it. We're that important that he chose to come himself to deliver that message. But why did he do that? John goes on to tell us, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right, the right to become children of God. He wants us to be part of our, his family. He wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to know him. We were created to have that relationship. That's the way we were wired. And he wants us to know and experience that relationship. We were created for so much more than this life. Like me in that restaurant, where I missed out on so much 
because I didn't get those visual cues that make all the difference. God is saying, so many people in this world are missing out because there is so much more out there. He's saying that death isn't the end. There is life after death. We were created to be eternal beings. This is not all there is. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead. He wants us to be part of his family. He wants a relationship with you and with me. You see, Christmas is all about family. It's, Christmas is about God coming to earth to invite us to be part of his family. It's not about a biological family. It's about us becoming adopted sons and daughters of him. So let's go back to the start of my talk. Christmas. Was it worth it? Was it worth God sending a message to you 2,000 years ago? Was it worth God coming in person to deliver it to you and to me? And what do you think about the fact that he wants you to become sons and daughters in his family? If we ask God that question, Christmas, was it worth it? We know he would say yes. Because he didn't just send us a message. He didn't just speak through someone. He came in person at Christmas because we were that important to him. So in closing, can I just ask you to ask yourself that question? Christmas, was it worth it for me?